Good morning, church. My name's Jack. I'm another member of the Young Adults Ministry here at Lighthouse, and I'm going to read our verse today. It's going to be in Acts 2, 36 through 42. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay, how's everybody doing? Good, if I'm a little out of breath, it's because I'm a little out of breath. So we'll bless you guys uh, for being here. Um, as you know, I'm not Pastor Greg, and um, I'm Jeff Glenn, a pastor here, and it's my pleasure to, to get to take you through the Word, whether it's, you know, during the week in, in the manas that we do, or, you know, Sunday mornings. Um, I love the Word of God, and, and I love to share it with you all. And so we're, we're in Acts 2. Uh, today, it's a foundational passage uh, for the church, the Big C Church, the church that is universal worldwide from, from the time of, of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out until today and beyond for those who, who believe in Jesus and call on His name and are, are baptized, uh, we become part of the church. And so, um, in this passage, Peter is summarizing uh, to those who are gathered. So this is that moment when they're gathered together in Jerusalem in the upper room, um, and there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues. And, and people are hearing uh, in their own language the, the praise of God and, and the good news. And some, um, they, they heard and recognized that in their own language. And so, so for me, there's two miracles there. One, you know, that the people were speaking in a, in a language that wasn't native to them. And then the other is, is it clearly says that, that they heard. And so, um, we also see that some didn't hear. So before we get into our passage today, let's pray. Father God, we, we pray for those ears today, Lord, that hear. We know that your word is, is true and, and it's um, profitable for, for teaching and correction and and so we, we want to hear from you today, Lord. So give us those ears that hear. And so we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in, in this story here where we see the, the, the gathering and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, the ones who didn't hear started mocking. 
And so they're like, oh, check out these guys. They must be drunk. Because it must to them, it must have sounded like they were babbling because, because they couldn't hear. And then Peter gives um, impassioned um, response that convicts some who are there, convicts many who are there, about 3,000, convicts them. They, they hear what Peter has to say, and they are convicted by it. And so they ask Peter, they say, how do we, how do we get in to the club here? So, so in verse 37, when they heard this, and we'll talk about this in a second, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so what they're saying is we've been convicted by what you have told us. And, and what, what do we do with that conviction? We, we've heard the truth. And, and this is the this, right? He spends the first um, about 30 verses rebutting their claim that, oh, you guys are drunk by saying that, no, they're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of prophecy when Jeremiah said that the, the prophecy or that uh, the Spirit would be poured out. And he goes on to mention other um, verses uh, um, in the Old Testament like Joel and Psalms. And he, he says, this is, this is what was told to you beforehand that would happen, that, that Jesus the Messiah would come and you guys crucified him. And so that, that pricked their hearts. They, at least for some, for about 3,000, um, they wanted to know, man, what, what do we do with this information, with the truth that we've rejected Jesus, but that the offer is still there of salvation through belief in him. And so Peter, he tells them, he says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so it's this repentance, the belief, the, the, the hearing of the truth, the believing in that truth, and then our repentance. And so what is repentance? If, there, if repentance is this ticket to entry into what we know now as the church, we need to get our, our head around that so we, we, don't under, we don't get confused. The Greek word, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's metane, metaneho. <laughs> um, and in your small groups later, if you know how to pronounce it, you can tell each other how to pronounce it. Or catch me in the lobby. What it means is it's got a couple different ideas. Of, is, the biggest one is to change one's mind. And the second one is it's really close to it, is to change one's mind for the better. And then this is the one that gets us, is, is to hardly amend with abhorrence one's past sins. Okay? So when we believe the good news that Jesus died for our sins, we believe that, and the next thing we're called to do is act on what we believe. So, so we, we work to hardly amend with abhorrence or past sin. And so this even is a huge truth that we need to kind of dig into a little bit here. My pages are wet for some reason, so we'll figure this out. Okay, so, so repentance, we can think of it as, as a change of mind that leads to a change of action, right? So a turning with contrition from sin to God. And so when, when we amend something, we change it for the better, we, we alter it formally, but we, like we either modify it or, or we delete something or we add something to it. Like if you've ever written an email, like maybe an angry email, right? You're, you're, you're kind of amending it, you wanna take this part out and add that part. And then, and then, of course, we know what heartily is, right? We don't want to do anything half 
heartedly. This is heartily, right? We, we thoroughly and vigorously want to do this, is the idea of heartily. And so it, we, we kind of contrast that, um, at least in our family, with, with the word try, right? And so for many of you Star Wars fans, you know Yoda, there, there is no try. There is either do or do not, right? And so, um, but that's the idea. If, you, if you're doing something heartily, you're putting your heart into it, you're, you're not just trying, you're, you're, you're doing it. Doesn't mean you're gonna do it perfectly, and that's the idea of, of missing the mark, right? You're, you're trying, but you're still missing the mark, but you're still trying because of what you believe has caused you to want to turn from that to God. And so we can think about it, you know, in a change of mind regarding who Jesus is and in who we are as well, because most often we get those two reversed. We, we think we're pretty good and we kind of think Jesus is okay too until we realize the opposite and we come to believe something different. And so in that, in that, that brings about a hatred of our past sin and, and, and a wanting to work that out of our lives. And so your changed mind results in a change of direction, like we've said. And so we've talked about this in, in Colossians, in Colossians 3, 5, where, where we learned that we're to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, th- those members that we talked about, right? Uh, and it, it goes on to list them. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then we see in Romans 12, 9, this idea, we, we come to love Jesus and hate our sin. So Romans 12, 9, let love be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. And so um, that's the idea of um, when we look to the cross and we see what Jesus has done for us, we, we want to hold on to that and, and put away those members that, that want to drag us back into our sin. And then, and then finally, we'll leave uh, with this idea with Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. So it's, it's a working in us, this hatred that we used to kind of just live in day to day. And so that's the idea of, of repentance, is a changed mind that leads to a change of action. Um, and so as we get into our scripture here, it says that after Peter gave his sermon and, and they asked what they should do, Peter tells them that they should repent, and they did in, 40, in 41. And those, in, I'm using New King James because it adds a little bit of um, what, what I think we experienced here today. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Right, didn't we see the joy of that baptism today? And so, so they received what Peter said gladly and they were baptized and they were added to the church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so it's this continuing part that we'll talk about next. Um, you know, it, it's, it's almost like um, in the birth of this church, the, these believers are coming into this, into this new creation. Uh, we know that Jesus said he would, he would build his church. And, and so any, anyone coming into any new thing, well, let's just take the school, right? We have a new school year. We have a lot of new students coming in. The first thing they do is they look around to the students that are around them and they go, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, what are they doing that I should be doing? What are they not doing that I shouldn't be doing? Like, what is, what is the culture? What, what are we doing here? And so that's what's going on in Acts when, when it says they continued steadfastly 
in these things. And so, so the big overarching theme of today's verse um, is that the, the church, so you guys are the church, right? So as the church, like what, what, do, we, what do we do? And then this is just this list of few of them, but they're really foundational. And so um, as members of a local church, you are also members of the big C church, that universal church that we talked about just a second ago. And so in this, we figure out, okay, what should we devote ourselves to? What is the, what is the, what do we do as the church? And the first thing we devote ourselves to is the apostles' doctrine, which in, for us is, is God's word, it's the Bible. And, you know, we, we see in it um, the story from the Old Testament to the New Testament of, of God's uh, redemption plan for, for humanity. And so um, in that, we, we, we are taught all things about God, we're taught things about ourselves, about our fellow believers, about non-believers, all of that. So the, all of these teachings are what the church is about. And so we see that Peter referenced the Old Testament. So now we're getting into like, what is the Bible? And, and Peter referenced the Old Testament in his, in his sermon, in his defense of those gathered there. Um, we see that all through Scripture, um, a, from the New Testament, a call back to the Old Testament. So they, so they clearly saw the Old Testament, which is all they had, by the way. They didn't, they didn't gather together in groups and say, turn with me now to Luke 20, because that wasn't written yet. They were relying on their understanding and the Old Testament Scriptures. So they saw them as Scripture and called back to them. And so um, there's, a, there's a lot here. So we won't cover everything. Um, but it's interesting that the, the Old Testament that we have today in our Bibles is the same as what the Jewish Bible would be, and it's called the Tanakh. Now, in the Tanakh, it's, it's, it's rearranged a little differently than ours, but it's the same books. And so, the Tanakh is just a um, kind of a compound word of, of the three parts of the Jewish Bible, and the Ta is the Torah, and that's the first five books of the Bible that we have here. This is the, the books that were written by Moses after Israel came out of, out of, Israel, out of Egypt, and he, and he used it to to unite Israel, to explain to them their shared history of creation through the time that they came out of the bondage in Egypt, and it told them how to live because they'd been under Pharaoh's hand the entire time, and so whatever dictates he gave, they would have to adhere to. So now they were under God's hand and His authority, so they had to know what that was. and so. It, it's um, including also the creation account, the fall, this promise to bring about Messiah um, in chapter 3 of Genesis where uh, the one who would come who would crush the head of the, the serpent, Satan, and, and, in, do, and in so doing, he would, he would defeat sin and death. And so we have that promise that runs throughout the Old Testament that the, the church, the early church, and even us, we look to those things as, as Scripture, as the promise of God. And, and the middle part of the Tanakh is the prophets like jo, um, Joshua and, and Isaiah. And then the last part is like the writings, like their history, either Ezra or Nehemiah, some poetry and all the rest. All, all that to say that, that what the early church was looking to for their Scriptures is exactly what we have in our Bible. And so um, it's the, what they would be familiar with 
and it was the, those things that they would quote, and when they were telling stories, they would, they would bring those stories into their understanding as well of the church, um, primarily that Jesus fulfilled those scriptures, and we'll see that later. Um, and then we get into the church age, and primarily from about the, the, the first hundred years of the church, like from A.D. 50 to A.D. 95-ish, were all of these letters that were written, circulated in the church uh, to help instruct and correct and point people in the right way to how do we do this thing that is the church. And so when I first came to faith in Jesus, um, one of the first things that, that I thought was, well, if I'm committing myself to following Jesus, like I better figure out what he wants me to do, right? Like where is he taking me? Where, where is he following me? And the only place that, that we know um, that how to do that is through his word. That's what we're given today. And so I committed myself to reading through, through the Bible, and, and I managed uh, to do that. And, and so when you do that, you, you, you come to see a lot of different things about about the Bible that give it, um, uh, I just love it, it, it gives it um, reason to read it, but also you find out a lot about the Bible, about what it says. Um, for us today, Hebrews 1 kind of gives us where we're at today in the church for those who um, have, have question about that. Like, like there's all these Old Testament things, you know, we're not supposed to eat shellfish, right? Right? I mean. So what, what part of the Old Testament and what part of the New Testament, and, and if we don't think rightly, we might get confused. But we have the New Testament for that, and especially in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And so it's Jesus for the church that we look to to know what we should do and how we should be. Um, after a particularly hard teaching, many people left Jesus. And John records this in, in chapter 6 of, of his gospel. And he says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away also? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So there, there it is again. This is coming to know the truth and believing it and receiving it. And, and as Peter said, like, where are we going to go as a church without Jesus? And so we, we need to hold fast and hold close to Jesus and what he's asking us to do. And so, since the, the Bible contains these words of how to live following Jesus, um, we find out that it, it has a lot of claims about itself. So, for instance, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so here we, here we have this understanding that the entirety of Scripture is from God, right? And so we're, we're told the same thing in Hebrews, that, that it's Jesus who's speaking to us. And so the Word of God is what we're about in the church. And we learn, that, we learn a lot. There's, there's a lot. I won't read through all of them, 
but as you read through your Bible, mark them. So Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. In Proverbs 35, every word of God proves true. And then from Isaiah in 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so, you know, that's what, that's what the word of God says about itself. And then when, when Jesus, since we're looking to him, and what did he say about uh, Scripture? He was, he was praying for us. So I would, I would say take a minute, of mom, a minute of meditation. Say that five times fast. Uh, take a minute of meditation um, later this afternoon and, and read John chapter 17. That's a prayer to you from Jesus. And in it, he says, sanctify them in your truth or sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so it's scripture as, as truth. Um, and then um, in Matthew 4, he, he tells them, um, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this was during his temptation uh, with uh, the devil, and he referenced Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. And so Jesus did that a lot. Jesus had a high view of the Old Testament, and as he was giving us the New Testament through, through the apostles and through those who wrote and through his life, um, he was connecting the two. There would be some who would say you can disconnect the Old Testament from the New Testament, and that's, that's wrong. You, they're, they're so connected that it's impossible. Um, and we have that from Jesus. He quoted the creation account in Mark 10. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And in John 15, he's referencing Psalm 35 when he says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And this was at the last Passover. And so he's, con you know, the last Passover, the, the, the last opportunity um, before his crucifixion to speak into the lives of his disciples. And he's telling them from Psalm 35 that he is the Messiah. This is who um, he is. And then he was asked about the greatest commandment. And I was kind of asked in kind of a snarky way from the, from the Pharisees, but he quoted Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, that you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, right? That, that um, song that, that we heard today. And, and so, um, and, and on and on. He spoke of the corruption of Noah's day and the flood. He spoke of Moses and the burning bush. Jesus talked about the heavenly manna that um, Moses and the Israelites ate in their wanderings. He spoke of the bronze serpent that, that Moses lifted up. He spoke of Jonah and the great fish. And, and, and on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22 as well as Psalm 31, 5. And so Jesus had a high view of the Old Testament. And why wouldn't he? Because he's the word, right? The word of life. And so he, he, he gave that to us for our benefit so that we would know who he is. And even outside the Bible, right, with the, the, the historicity and the veracity of the Bible in, in things like archaeology just furthers the, um, 
confidence that we have that, that the Bible that we have either on our phone or, or the physical Bible that we have is, is, is virtually unchanged. Now, now there's some changes in, you know, like New King James or ESV or, or those things like that, but, but, but the, the text that's here, the meaning of it, the, 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 even the words are the same. And so um, many of you have uh, heard Joel Kramer speak here. And, and if you haven't, uh, Joel Kramer's got tons of resources. Um, he's our missionary, basically, in, in, uh, he's in Jordan now, um, Iman Jordan, and he takes um, us on um, trips to Israel, which he explains with open Bible where you're at, where that's at in the Bible, and, and how we can know for sure that that's what we're reading is, is truth. And so if you want to see some of those videos, he's got a, a great website on YouTube called Expedition Bible or even a, a, a ministry called Source Flicks that, um, that we send out videos and whatnot from, from this very building to people who order them online that, that his entire ministry is the Bible is reliable. You can live your life by it. You can stake your life by it. And so, so, again, in short, what we have is, is reliable and it's authoritative. It, it's something that we can, we can rest in. It's the Word of God and we believe it. And so, again, as the church, Jesus, who's talking uh, to, to the Jews who believed in him in John 8, 31-32, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so I love that, um, I love that translation, and I think sometimes we miss that last part. The truth shall make you free. And I'm not sure, I didn't do any research on the, any translations out there that say the truth will set you free is, is also accurate. But I love this idea of making you free because that's what we are in Christ. We are a new creation. Christ makes us new. And in that, we are free. We are free from sin. We are free from death and the bondage that all of that brings. Free from fear. And able to, to step into this love relationship with, with Jesus because that's his motivation towards us, his love, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. So it's this eternal life that we're given. We're, 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 we're made free from uh, sin and death. And I, I love it. I uh, can't talk enough about it. Um, so the next thing, we'll, we'll have to end there or else I'll spend all, all day on the Bible. Um, the next thing that we devote ourselves to is fellowship. And this one, I'll, I'll probably will, will blow up the time that I have here, so I'll try to move through it quickly. This fellowship, um, the, the word is koinonia, and we probably heard that if we've been in church circles at any amount of time. Um, you know, it's an association or a community, um, kind of joint participation. But the way I like to think about it, and I just recently uh, came across this, is like, like koinonia. Like, you're not alone. And so I think, you know, especially with the last 
couple of crazy years, you know, with, with COVID. COVID kind of seemed to give space and make it okay and, and, and drive a wedge and like, well, I can, be, I can be isolated. I can be socially distanced because that's what people want us to do. But, but I think the devil worked his way in there. And, and what we want to fight for is fellowship. And we want to devote ourselves to fellowship. Sometimes uh, Bible commentators will, will add, if you have a Bible like that, it'll, it'll have a little, like a subheading, and it will say what the next couple of verses are about. And the, and the one commentator that I, that I was reading, he called this the section um, on, on Koinonia, he called it the ingathering. And I thought, man, that's kind of a weird word, but that's kind of cool too if you think about it, the ingathering. Because in a very real sense, that's what's happening, right, as, as the church when we believe in Jesus is, is that you're being gathered together with other believers. Like, like you're no longer like scattered out in the world, like vulnerable to the predations of, of what the world throws at us. Like you're gathered together. And so that brings with it all sorts of things, you know, you know, safety and comfort and encouragement, all of those things. And so in that in-gathering, it's really this communion um, with, with Jesus, it's communion with the Holy Spirit, it's communion with each other, and so I'll go through those. So communion with Jesus. Um, in John 14, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him and with fellow believers. It's like God is going to make his home with us. We're invited into God's family. And then in 1 John 1, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And it says ahead, we also have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. After all, he's the helper that was given to us when Jesus left. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the church, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And so he's, he's closing out his letter there with this, with this salutation to them, with this benediction that be encouraged, you are not alone. Amen. Okay. And we have communion with each other with this fellowship. In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so this fellowship that we're called into, that we're gathered into is marked by love. You know, I remember uh, most of you know that Janeth is from the Philippines and, and um, I think our second trip there was, um, I think my first trip I wasn't a believer, the second trip I'd given my life to Christ. And, and we met a local pastor, and it was so cool. It was, a, it was a Calvary Chapel in her hometown, and the pastor was a songwriter who wrote his own worship music. And I was like, wait a minute, this is so weird. So I came back and I told Greg, and it was like really this weird moment. But in his church service, it was like I was coming here. Like that kind of, it was so weird that, that I had this feeling of, of love and, and family and, and fellowship with people that I just barely met on the other side of the world. And, and I've talked with many believers since then who've had the same, same experience. Um, we have this 
We have this connection as believers to other believers all over the world. And so, so like the bottom line is the church, um, you know, like you are the church. So it's not like Kiwanis or, or Rotary. Like those are great and, and some good things happen there. But, but they don't begin to represent the depth of belonging or fellowship that, that believers do in this fellowship with Jesus and each other. And so um, Galatians 4, 3 through 7 tells us, even so, when we were young children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And you can add as sons and daughters, right? As we are, we are adopted into this family. It, it isn't just an um, a organizational relationship, right? You don't have organizational relationships with your mom or dad or brother and sister, right? You have this close relationship where, where you know, like when you're close with somebody and you're rubbing elbows, some, that's called friction, right? And so sometimes we get a little friction going on, and that's okay. Um, what I love about this verse is, you know, because we are sons and daughters of God, He sent forth His Spirit. And, and, and the verse here, I don't have the reference, but, but He's sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, right? So that we know that, that we are um, brought into the family. And so um, this close-knit relationship brings us to, to like the purpose of the church, right? Um, like when you're in, in a group with another group of believers, like ask yourselves, like, are, are we fellowshipping? Like, what does that look like? What does fellowshipping look like? Well, first of all, and primarily it's what we're doing here today, um, especially earlier when we worship, right? When we're fellowshipping with each other and with the Lord, we are worshiping His. Like it's, we're worshiping Him. <laughs> it's His church after all, right? We're told that He would build His church and that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. And so that, that's, that's important to remember. Like, like no matter what the, the name on the front of the building says, right, it's Jesus' church. And so when we come to worship Him, and as we do that, we, we reflect back the many blessings that He gives us. And, and, and in that reciprocal worship is when the fullness of joy comes. And, and that kind of blew my mind when I really, like, that's how that happens. Um, and we'll get to that verse in a little bit. But um, John the Apostle, wrote, writer of uh, a couple of books in the Gospel of John, you know, he, he encountered this marvelous being um, during his revelation. And he was moved to, to the point of worship of this being, this angel. But the angel, like, rightly corrected John. He said, um, don't be doing that. He pointed him in the right direction. Revelations 22.9. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who have kept the words of this book, worship God. I love that, just worship God. Like if we could just like meditate on that too, worship God. That's what the church does when we fellowship. We worship God. Um, so it's... Um, it's important. Entire books have been written, you know, the Psalms, literally prayers to music, um, praise to God, all throughout the, the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, we're to, we're to worship God. And 
Uh, we're told in John 4 by Jesus, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So we're, so we're to worship God. And, and, and when we know that um, we don't have to question because like He's worthy of our worship. And so we worship. And the next thing that we do as a, as a fellowship is as we build up the body. We build each other up. Hebrews 10 tells us to, to let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so um, the next thing that we do when we fellowship, um, and as we, we do this thing called church, is we evangelize. We People need to hear about Jesus. I mean, Jesus told us to do that in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And then this is the part again that you're not alone. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so as we devote ourselves to learning God's word, we should devote ourselves to fellowship and then to breaking of bread. And um, this is where we'll land today. Um, Mark did a really good job last week of, of going over prayer. And, um, and so you can hearken back to that one too. But let me give us this passage here on prayer because I, I mentioned it earlier. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And this is where we see the, the fullness of, of our joy. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so this, this peace, right, that comes from giving our anxieties to the Lord and, and, and praising Him and thanking Him for those blessings that we have is what brings us joy. And so... We'll, we'll land here with, with the breaking of bread, and then we'll transition into that um, time of communion. But, but we'll, we'll lay out breaking of bread, because each week we, we try to do a little bit of an explanation of the breaking of bread, but I really wanted to get into it today, so we'll, we'll spend a few minutes doing that, and then I'll lead us um, in that. And so in, in this passage here, when it says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, most likely had two meanings. Like they actually had meals together. They went to each other's homes. And they had maybe like a potluck or something, you know. And so, you know, who knows that, um, that potato recipe might be that old, right? It might be a couple thousand years old. But um, they actually did that. But the other meaning is, is what we'll talk about today is, is actually communion. The, the receiving, the partaking of, of the body and the blood of Christ. And so... This communion, this sacrament that was given to the church on the last night before Jesus' trial and execution, right in the upper room uh, where he met with his disciples and the foot washing and, and all of that, this is where he instituted this meal. And it was meant to honor and remember Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. And, and give us this opportunity to, to meditate on, on that 
um, for a moment and, and that relationship that we have, this fellowship that we have. And we also look forward to this chance to remember him until he comes. And so in 1 Corinthians, we have like this, the, the most robust explanation of the Lord's Supper. Um, so in the way that we think about it here, the, we, we have um, opportunity to meditate and then there are four looks. You can look uh, to different aspects of this communion. And so um, the first look is where to look within. And so in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians, it, um, it talks about partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. Now, now that's not, oh, I, I sinned today on the way in, or you know, I'm still in a fight with my wife. That isn't what that is. That, that is not believing in Jesus. If you take communion without believing in Jesus first, that's um, actually um, a bad thing. It's, it, it's not going to do anything for you um, other than put that condemnation of the blood on you. Basically, you're, there are those in this church um, that Paul was speaking to in Corinth who, who would think that, oh, they could just come in and partake of this meal um, as maybe like a good luck charm. Like, well, I might as well just do this just in case it works. And, and Paul's saying, no, that's not what this meal is about. This meal is about for believers, for family members. It's communion. We're communing with the Lord. We're communing with each other. And if you're outside of that, you're violating that. And so it's, it's actually a sin. And so um, the, the, as, we, as we look within... We examine ourselves, are, are we a believer? But then also, like, is there unrepentant sin? Have you, have you got like a little pet sin that you're keeping um, unmortified in you? Like you're like, okay, I think I can, I think I can nurse this sin just so far, but, but if I'm over here, I'm outside, but if I'm here, it kind of is okay, right? So, so that's the next thing that we want, want to be looking. We want to look within, like, like is there something that's unrepentant that we know about? that we need to, to let go? Do we need to mortify that in that meal with the Lord as we're taking it? And, and Paul's very clear that, that this is a source of illness for many, and, and not just like a spiritual sickness or a, a feeling, you know, a little down or whatever. He, he's, he's saying actual sickness. And so for those who, who don't think uh, one affects the other, like, like if we don't think our, our unrepentant sin doesn't affect our physical health, and, and Paul's cautioning us to think again. And he's saying, um, work that out with the Lord before you take communion so that you're taking it in a, in a worthy manner. The other looks that we have is, is we're to look back, right? So we're, we, we look back to the cross and realize that's where we were redeemed with Jesus. And then we look forward. We, we look forward to his return. And man, I look forward to his return. And so the Communion gives us an opportunity to do that, to, to meditate on that. You're like, man, Jesus died for my sins, but he's coming back. And in the meantime, he hasn't left us alone. And then, then the next, um, in verse 29, it talks about discerning the body. And this is the body of Christ, the fellowship that we've been talking about all morning. And really what this is, is, is our relationship in the body, is it right? Like, do we have beef with one another? Is there things that we need to work out, right? Um, Psalm 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Like, the other passage that um, we're supposed to 
Um, it's coming to me here, but I'll, it's, um, we are supposed to fight for the unity that's been delivered to us through Jesus, right? So we've been given that unity. We don't have to go try to work it out. We've been given it. We just need to, to, to fight to maintain it. Um, I know that um, Paul wrote to the Philippian church, and there was, there was two ladies, Yodia and, and Syntyche, and they had some kind of beef, and he wrote to them to, to work it out. And he even told the church leader, like, like, go help these women who've been fellow ministers with me in the gospel, and now they're, now they're beefing, and, and go help them work it out, right? And we know from, from Matthew 18, like, if your brother sins against you, you got to go work it out. Matthew 5, like, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and you realize someone has beef with you, you got to go work it out, right? So, so either way, we got to work this out. And that's, that's discerning the body, and it's honoring the Lord when we do that. And so um, there's so much more to say, but, but um, I want to lead you now into um, this time of, of communion. Um, and as you're, as you're getting up and headed to get your, your communion, I'm going to land here. I know I said I was going to land earlier, but, but Peter talks about the promise when he's... Um, giving his response to those in Acts 2. He's like telling them that, for the promise is to you and to your children, and this promise is salvation and the Holy Spirit. And so, um, I don't want to miss that opportunity again here today. Like if you've just believed in Jesus today, or if you've been wrestling with belief, and you want to do that today, today's the day. Right? And so as, as, we're, as we're gathered together, you can go ahead and make your way. I'll call the ushers forward and, and they'll get the communion ready for you and um, have the worship team come up and, and we'll have our, our moment of communion. So again, like if that's you, if you've just believed in Jesus and you'd like to pray, um, we can pray this prayer. So Jesus, I believe in you. I know you died for my sins. Help me follow you. Help me to repent. It's in your name I pray. Amen.